The body is the means by which we reveal ourselves to the world. We use our mouths to speak to one another, our ears to listen to one another, and our feet to get together with one another. Have you ever heard of someone refer to the church as the body of Christ? What in the world does that strange designation mean? Dave Wordson takes us into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and exposes the Apostle Paul's ideas about the relationship between our physical bodies and the church. In John chapter 1, we read in the Word, the invisible communication of God, the Word, the revelation of God, became flesh. He became a body. And He dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And so, in the person of Jesus, when the baby was born in Bethlehem, the infinite, almighty God became God dwelling in a body. And Jesus, when he walked around the Sea of Galilee, when he ministered in Judea, Jesus used his hands to communicate the message of God. He used his feet to go where God wanted him to go. He used his mouth to say the words that God wanted him to say. In fact, when we studied the Gospel of John, one of the most powerful things we learned is that it was like Jesus was on a mission just like an astronaut goes on a mission for NASA, it was like Jesus went on a mission for the eternal God. And every word that he said, every thought that he thought, every step that he took, he took as a revelation of the heart and the mind and the person of his heavenly Father. What you've seen me do, you have seen the Father do. And so I think you'd all, if I were to ask you, uh, how does God reveal himself in a body? One of the very first things you would tell me, God reveals himself in a visible body when Jesus Christ came as the baby in a manger and grew to be a man. But that's not where we, live, where, where we are living right now. We were not the shepherds who were able to come and worship the little baby. We were not the disciples that were able to go and hear him in the, as he gave the Sermon on the Mount. We were not able to eat the bread and, and the fish that he broke in the feeding of the 5,000. Where does God reveal himself in a body today? And that's a very important thing to ask yourself. In other words, Jesus has ascended to the right hand of heaven, at the right hand of God, sitting on the throne. He is the exalted Christ. He's far above all principalities and powers. But has God left himself without a bodily presence in the world today. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, an idea that has probably you've heard it all your life. We sing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We use the expression, we're the body of Christ. What do we mean by that? And one of the major ideas that I want to understand from the Scripture is what we mean by that is that in your body, Jesus chooses to make the presence of God known. You are the body of Christ this morning. You are the hands of God. You are the voice of God. You are the feet of God. You are the eyes of God. The Bible's making an incredible claim that by the Spirit of God comes to live in our lives, He takes over our physical bodies, bodies and uses it to communicate His message. Now, there's a whole lot of things that come together when we talk about this New Testament idea of the body of Christ. We need to talk about how do you get into the body? How do you get born into the body of Christ? Now look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 
because we learn how we become a member of the body of Christ. For we were all baptized. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. The Apostle Paul is telling us that the way that we become a member of the body of Christ is being baptized by the one spirit. Now, there's a lot of confusion about what it means to be baptized. Some believers would read this verse, and every time they read the word baptized, they automatically think in terms of water. They have what I might call a water fixation. Every time they see the word baptized, they think in terms of water, so they would hold that the way you become a member of the church is by being water baptized. Now, in order to prove whether or not that's true, we need to ask ourselves more about what the Apostle Paul would be thinking of when he thought of baptism. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he thinks of baptism, doesn't just think of being put underneath water. We've all looked at Romans chapter 6, and let's look over there just to remind ourselves of some verses that we often look at when we study about baptism. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Look at verse 3, because here's our word again. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, baptized by the Spirit, baptized into Christ, is an equal expression. It's expressing the same reality in our lives. We were there for Now it's going to explain to us what it means to be baptized into Christ. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the body, from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Verse 5, if you have been united with him like this in his death, we certainly also will be united with him in his resurrection. For we know, now we change the expression a little bit more, we know that our old self was crucified with him. That's how we were identified with Christ's death. We were crucified with him so that the body of sin, the way that we used our bodies to fulfill sinful desires, should be dead, crucified, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, but instead we are now free, free not to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. And then verse 8 and verse 9 goes on to talk about our identification with Christ in his resurrection. The way that we're identified, and the word baptized back in 1 Corinthians 12, is a word that means totally joined, intimately united, becoming one with. That's the idea. It's saying that the way that that happens is the moment we identify ourselves with Christ, the moment that we believe in what he did for us on Calvary, and we rest our hope for eternal life in what Jesus did, that moment of faith, faith means to put your confidence, it means to rest, to depend upon. The personal moment when you do that, you are joined with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, which means that you're identified with Him, He makes your house, your body His dwelling place, therefore you are forgiven, therefore you become the child of God. 
Now, that's how you become a member of the body of Christ. It's not necessarily by raising your hand. It's not by walking an aisle. It's not even by getting in a tank of water. It is much deeper than any of those physical things. It is something that happens deep in your soul, deep in your personality. And I pray that it's happened to every one of you. The issue that's so important for every one of us as we talk about the body of Christ is that you be absolutely sure that you're in the body of Christ. You see, you can be a, a, a coming, present member of church. But you might not be a member of the body of Christ because you might be looking upon it, I joined a religious group. I like religious teaching. The Bible is a fascinating book. And that might that's all true. And that's good. But the issue is, have you come to the place in your life where you have opened up your heart, opened up with, with your will? You said, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life. And I believe what you did for me on Calvary. Now, I think that right now there's a debate and there's a lot of debate about the exact words you need to use and exactly all that's involved in that decision. Sometimes I think that we make confusing a personal encounter that if it's really happened, is very genuine. And what I want to understand is that your confidence of eternal life is not rooted in your performance. It's rooted in the promise of God, the reality that you've made that choice to receive Christ. So let's begin there. The way that I get into the body of Christ is to allow Jesus Christ to take away all my sins based upon what he did for me on Calvary, to believe in the resurrection, to confess to him that I'm a sinner and needed that salvation. If you've done that, then you are in the body of Christ. And that means that every other person that you meet that's made that same commitment of faith, they are trusting in Christ in that same way they are also a member of the body of Christ. And that's what produces the solidarity. And that's what we're looking at in your notes there, joining the body of Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And all believers, all believers have been baptized with the whole Holy Spirit. It says, for by one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, were we all baptized. Not some of us, but all of us. Now, the question of the control of the Spirit, like according to Ephesians, be controlled by the Holy Spirit, that's a question that's open. At a given moment in time, we as believers might choose not to be controlled by the Spirit or to use another symbol, we might choose not to be filled by the Holy Spirit, but we are all baptized by the Holy Spirit if we are a child of God. In other words, it's the difference. The Holy Spirit dwells in the body of every single child of God. If you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your body, you wouldn't be a born-again believer because that's what identifies you with Christ. That's what causes your sins to be forgiven. That's what unites you with the Son of God. But at a given moment in time, the Holy Spirit might be living inside our lives, but our wills might be deciding to control our lives ourselves. In other words, we can make a decision not to use our bodies for the glory of God. We can choose not to use our bodies under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 
And the body is very important. In Romans 6, it talks not only just about the fact that we're baptized spiritually, but it goes on in Romans chapter 6 to say that our physical bodies are also going to be redeemed. And you say, Dave, what's the connection? The reality is this. Because the Holy Spirit has come to live in your body, the Holy Spirit has sanctified our physical body. And though this physical body is dying, it's still very, very important. It's become the dwelling place of God. And God has ordained that the same way that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and his physical body was changed, it was glorified, it was made imperishable, our physical bodies one day through the power of Christ are going to be made imperishable as well. And the way the Bible puts all this together is therefore we need to recognize how significant our physical bodies are as the dwelling place of God. We need to value them as the dwelling place of God. We need to recognize that even this life and even going into the grave won't be the final chapter on this body. Now, I don't understand all the, 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 the substance to the continuity between this body and my heavenly body. In other words, I can't describe exactly what I'm going to look like. I don't know what the chemical composition. Uh, my chemistry teacher in college said it's not going to be a carbon base. It's going to be some other element base. And he lost me when he started talking like that. Um, we don't know what the substance of that spiritual, heavenly, eternal body is going to be. But we do know that it's going to have substance. It's a very important idea. When Jesus rose again from the dead, the disciples could put their hands in his nail-pierced hands. They could thrust their hands in his side, and Jesus had substance. That's our hope in the resurrection. And it's also something that you probably hadn't thought about. It's why you need to value your human body now. You say, Dave, we were talking about the church as the body of Christ. Now we're talking about the individual body being like the body of Christ. And that's because the New Testament puts these two ideas very close together. This idea that you as an individual, if you're baptized into the body of Christ, become individually part of the body of Christ, and you're, therefore your body is part of the body. Look at Romans 12. It tells us what we need to do with our bodies. Romans chapter 12. Based upon this reality of Romans 6, that we've been identified with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, based upon the fact that our physical body has now become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, now it says in Romans 12:1, Therefore I urge you, I beg of you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all the grace, all the forgiveness, all the mercy that God's given to you, look at the phrase, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, set apart and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't any longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be metamorphosed, be transformed like a caterpillar into a butterfly by the renewing of your mind, by by doing what we're doing this morning, by having your mind renewed about spiritual things, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
Now, what is God telling us to do? When I was a kid, these verses always came on Wednesday night at a campfire service at Word of Life. They always came at the end of a missionary talk. And the essence of the missionary talk was that you need to de- you needed to dedicate your life to Christ. And that meant to go to Africa and live in a hut. The two were all connected together. Anybody been raised in that kind of background? Okay. Now, that is a great idea. If the Lord wants your body to be deposited in a hut. And if he does, that'll be the happiest hut you've ever been in. And there's a great need for us to take the gospel into all the world. But as I've grown in the ministry, one of the things that concerns me is sometimes we have a missionary in a hut that's in Africa, but we don't have the missionary's body controlled completely as a living sacrifice for God. And then as they live in the hut, instead of building up the body of Christ, they're tearing it down because they act like, you know what? You see, what this chapter is about is not making some kind of a great choice that I'm going to become David Livingston. What this chapter is about in its context is that you and I recognize what our body is. You see, in Romans 6, Paul told us when we were born again, we were joined with Christ. When Christ died, we died. We're supposed to die to our old way of life. When Christ rose again, we're supposed to rise again spiritually. The Holy Spirit lives in our life. And instead of using our hands to steal, we're to use our hands to do good, to work hard, so that instead of stealing, we give to others. We don't even just use our hands to meet our own needs. We use them to meet other people's needs. Instead of using our mouth to cut one another to smithereens, we use our mouth to build one another up. Instead of using our mouth to blaspheme, we use it to proclaim the glory of God. Instead of using our feet to go places to indulge our bodies sinfully, we use our feet to take the gospel into all the world, and we go places that God wants us to go. And what Romans 12 is, is just driving home the point of Romans 6. Jesus wants you to recognize that your body belongs to him. It only makes sense if he has graciously forgiven you, if he has come to live in your life and he's the creator, it only makes sense to let him take over control of your hands, control of your eyes, control of your feet, control of your entire body. And what he's saying is that we need to be this strange enigma of living sacrifice. Even the Pauline phrase, living sacrifice, reminds us of, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's not this living sacrifice idea. It's not a believer going around, oh, I'm just so dead. And I'm such a smelly, dirty corpse. And I'm not good for anything. And I'm really humble as well. That's not at all what these verses are saying. The idea of being a living sacrifice is not saying, I'm not worth anything, I don't have any value anyway, I might as well just let God do with my life whatever He wants to do. That's not at all what it's saying. What it's saying is for you by faith to allow the Holy Spirit to teach you that you have been crucified with Christ, you have been resurrected, you have an eternal life right in your soul. The presence of God lives in your body. 
And what Romans 12 is saying, it only makes sense, therefore, to live out that reality. The phrase living sacrifice means live out the reality that you are resurrected with Christ and dead to your sin. The text goes on. The text goes on to show how that expresses itself in the way that we live with one another. Let's look at it. Paul goes on and talks about what he means. What does someone do that presents their body the living sacrifice? Look at verse 3. For by the grace, Romans 12, 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather to think of yourself with a sober judgment. The first thing that someone does that recognizes that they're a living sacrifice is that they get proper perspective of their place in the body. What they realize is because they've been crucified with Christ, and therefore, no longer did they get the glory, but Christ gets the glory. It helps us to begin to think soberly, which means to think without intoxicating influences. We're not drunk with ourself anymore. Very, very important. Every single one of us, if we're going to be able to live out the reality of this body, we need to think clearly with a sober judgment, not more highly than we ought to think, but also not more lowly than we ought to think, according to the measure of faith that God has given to you. And what that means is that faith is what gets us born again in the first place. Faith is what helps us to believe that what I'm telling you is true. Right now, I am exercising faith in using my body for the glory of God. If the Holy Spirit hasn't chosen to use my mouth, then I'm going to quit very quickly as a pastor. Because the reality is that this morning we're trying to accomplish an impossible feat. You see, we're talking to a multiplicity of people from all different walks of life who understand words in a million different ways. There's no way that you can understand what God is trying to teach you from the Word of God if it depends just upon my ability to put words together in sentences, it just won't happen. And a preacher that feels that he's the one that makes it happen is not under the control of the Spirit. And you as the people of God know that instantaneously. Look what else. Paul goes on and develops this idea of working together, thinking soberly. Look what it says, according to the measure of faith. Just as each one of us as one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. What Paul is stressing here is that our bodies, we learn in Romans 6, are crucified with Christ and raised, so our bodies become the dwelling place of God. When we all get together... That individual sense of our body being the dwelling of God, when we all get together, then we become, in plural, the body of Christ. And now the metaphor changes a little bit. Instead of viewing your physical body as the body of Christ, the physical dwelling of the Spirit of God, when we all get together, Paul thinks of it as if you were part of the body. Do you see the shift? He says, just as the body is one, when we all get together, he talks about the fact that we're just one. We're a unity. 
He says, just as a body is one and has many parts. And we want to get to the many parts in just a minute. But I want to talk, first of all, about the oneness. It's very, very strategic if we are going to be entering into what the New Testament is saying about the church, about the body of Christ. It's very important that we recognize the unity of the body of Christ. And we've talked a great deal the last few weeks about that reality. The body of Christ is something that's worldwide. It's universal. There's no visible head over it, but there is an invisible head. Colossians 1 and Ephesians 4 tells us that we're all to grow up into the head, all be controlled by the head, which is Christ. And he's far above all rulers and all principalities. So the image is this. Paul pictures Christ as the head and then all of us as individual believers becoming the arms, the legs, the feet. We become the body, the presence of Christ reaching out to the world. How do you join the body of Christ? And how can we as individuals serve the unity of this unique body? These are the two important questions Dave has answered from the Word of God today, and our purpose is to be used by God's Holy Spirit to help you, as a member of the body of Christ, to become the perfect reflection of our Savior in this world today. We invite you to join us next time for the continuation of The Church, the Body of Christ.